Welcome back to Everything All at Once, the podcast where we talk about the trials and tribulations of our 20s and the neuroscience slash psychology behind it. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Francesca and today's episode we will be talking about moral codes and how we form our moral code, what is a moral code, and when and how a moral code can be changed. First and foremost, we got to hit him with a life update. First of all, check on check on your friends in STEM. They need help. Check on them. They're suffering, and I know they're struggling. Midterms week. Now, for some of you who are not STEM-related, STEM-related, are not in the STEM field, you may or may not be familiar with the exam situation. So a normal college curriculum will work in a midterm setting where you have two midterms that are spread out throughout the semester and then you have a final. For most STEM girlies, that is actually not the case. We have four or five midterms spread out throughout the semester. And when you're taking three STEM classes, it's kind of hard for them not to just either be back to back to back or they're spread out. So it's just either all in the same week or it's like, okay, I have chemistry this week and then neuroscience next week. And you just boom, 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 boom. And then once you're done, the cycle, the cycle for the other class that was first just repeats itself and it's just a never ending loop. This semester has been, it's different than UCI because I feel that this has been a slow burnout. UCI got burnt out really quick. Here, it's just been progressively killing of my soul. I swear, I've never been more mentally exhausted in my in a while not in my life but in a while and that is partly because of school partly because my anxiety i just have no handle on at the moment absolutely none zero control over it i don't know what's going on trying to figure it out it's like one minute i can't eat i can't do anything it's disgusting like i need to shelter myself and the next minute i finally return back to some state of normal. I'm like eating everything in front of me. It's just a mess. I am a mess. I am can confidently say I have been a mess and I haven't had a panic attack or getting up. Not not insomnia, but it's like at UCI a lot of the times I would have a lot of trouble sleeping and have to take melatonin every night because if I didn't, I would wake up in multiple panics and in a full-blown sweat. It is cold here, mind you, and the other night I woke up every hour on the hour in a panic and was so hot that I had to turn my fan on. It's literally 30 degrees, maybe definitely colder at night. No reason I should turn my fan on, absolutely none. And it's some days I'm like, hold on, it's been seven hours, haven't talked to a soul, haven't even opened my mouth today. Maybe I said hi to my mom on the phone and that was it. Because I just feel like I'm constantly playing catch-up to do homework. It's ridiculous. And it is very hard not to be burnt to a crisp and really take care of myself. And that is something I am working on. Balance has never been my forte, but we're going to get there. And I have been having also a lot of problems with my back. I don't know 
how to make the never-ending discomfort go away. This week was actually a little bit better, and I think I figured out that I just cannot lift weights. It doesn't even matter how heavy they are. They, it's just not working for me. It's not working. It's not doing its thing. I don't... It just makes it hurt. And I was trying to explain analysis paralysis because my mom just didn't understand. And I think that's the perfect description of where I've been lately. So I'm so mentally exhausted and I really tried to prioritize sleep this week. But it doesn't matter how much I sleep if the minute I wake up, I am mentally draining myself all day. For example, so I get done class at 3.30 on Friday. Afterwards, I was trying to decide where to study. I spent the hours of 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. not able to focus on anything in my classes and anything in general, trying to decide where to go and what to do. This is what I mean by I I cannot have free time. It just doesn't work. Not for me. And I know I need to get back on my five-minute journal wave because for some reason, I was doing my best when I was doing that journal. Maybe I need to end my day and start my day with gratitude. I read an article, and I'm not just saying that because I found it on TikTok because I don't have TikTok, but I actually saw that the part of your brain that expresses gratitude is the same part of your brain that has a large part in anxiety. I should research that more, but basically, you can't be anxious and grateful at the same time, so... I'm just going to start that gratitude journaling right up, do some yoga, stretching, be a little bit nicer to myself and my body as my nutrition has just been up, down, all around. Have no idea what's what's going on yet. To say the least, I've been very off. But I have here in the life update, other than that, I hate gym bros grunting in the middle of the track. So basically, part of my recovery is that I cannot run outside unless it's a track or an indoor track or a treadmill. So I've been rocking the treadmill runs. And the other day, I thought to myself, I'm going to go run on the track. Whatever. No big deal. I was running, running, running. So this guy decides to do walking lunges on the middle lane of the track. Now, why the middle lane just right smack dab in the middle when you can easily just pick the end, which is closer to the weight section? I don't know. I genuinely have no idea. But anyways, he stops mid-lunge. I'm about to, I'm running, running, running. I'm kind of approaching him. And he puts the weights down and I'm running beside him. And I literally jumped 10 feet in the air and almost fell off the balcony, off the track. Because he goes, yes, yes. And he like drops the weights and he goes, let's fucking go. And I was like, what are, what are you doing? I understand hyping yourself up. I'm a major hype woman of myself, but I do it quietly at the gym because I don't want to draw attention to myself. You, my friend, just scared me shitless and half the gym is looking at you because you walked what? One 30 pound dumbbell in both hands, a few, a few steps. You didn't even walk that far. You didn't even walk the full length of the track. You walked five lunges. Do you want a medal? Do you want a star? No. That like pisses me off. It's like calm the ego down. If we all just take the egos all the way down, we'd be okay. Speaking of egos, if you haven't watched Selling Sunset, what are you doing? 
Selling Sunset is amazing. And the whole show would be solved if everybody just took their ego down like 50 notches. There would be no problems, but then it would be no fun to watch. And right after recording this, I'm going to watch the new episode of Lessons in Chemistry, of course. So those are some shows that you should stream. Also, I'm streaming The Mindy Project. That has been just such a fun little sitcom to watch, mindless, brainless, something I don't have to think about. Just put on in the background. It is really good. Wait, I literally had something I wanted to say and I totally lost it. Oh, yes. So I've been trying to get my flu shot done for weeks and I genuinely just keep forgetting. And this just brings me to the point of I hate admin. I hate any sort of admin you throw at me. I won't do it. I hate admin and I hate household chores. I do. I love having an apartment. Do I want to be a big girl and do adult things like schedule my own vaccine appointments and dust my fucking windowsills? No, absolutely not. It takes time. I was like the other weekend, I turned to myself and go, Francesca, you have to do that thing called um, chores. You have to do those. See that pile of laundry that is astronomically overflowing? You got to take care of that. The dust on the windowsill? Wipe that. Like, I'm not a dirty person, I swear. I just literally hate chores and I hate admin. For example, I'm not getting credit for a course that I should. So I'm emailing back and forth, back and forth. It's a never ending battle of admin and I'm not doing it. I am a woman in STEM. If you don't listen to Giggly Squad with Hannah Burner and Paige DeSorbo, that was a niche reference, but I most definitely recommend that you should. You should be tuning into that show. It is so funny and it makes me laugh all the time. I've been really wanting to go to one of their shows and just a concert in general. That would be pretty fun because I haven't been to a concert in a really long time considering my whole summer situation. But regardless, I am just trudging my way. Like I literally had to hype myself up to do the four dishes I had in the sink. I was like, you got it. Come on. Pick yourself up. Take your computer with you if you need. Because I was watching 16 Candles for the millionth time. That is my comfort movie. And other than that, you know, the lab's been going good. I haven't heard back from a fitness job I applied for, but I'm applying to more soon. So that should be good. I think it'll be a great outlet and it's light work. It's frustrating because my ultimate goal is to become a cycle instructor, but obviously you need to be physically equipped and due to my back I am not conditioned in any way shape or form to undergo prolonged training like I can do a cycle class no problem but it's more so like the consistency of being on the bike that often that amount of vigorous training I definitely could not handle right now so I'm holding off on that dream for now that's on the back burner and you know what let's just get right into a hot minute a hot minute is kind of short this week because there's only there's really only one thing I want to address, and that's Taylor's version 1989. I was not recording. I took a little MIA when this came out, but let me tell you right now, if you haven't listened to it, I don't know I don't know how to help you. It was released a few two weeks ago and has broken the all-time record for the largest sales in a week on vinyl in U.S. history, selling 580,000 copies on vinyl in its first six days of availability. This is the largest sales week for any vinyl album since Luminate began tracking sales in 1991. According to Billboard, 1989 Taylor's version now ranks as the top-selling album in America in 2023. 
ladies and gentlemen, she's done it again. And she's hinted at reputation. And I'm a 1989 girl at heart. I said this when she first announced this. Clean is one of my all-time favorite songs in the whole world. I I don't even... I'm just going to take a moment to analyze Clean really quickly because it deserves its, its own special moment. So Clean, I picture in my mind either... It depends what stage of life I'm in. When I first heard it, I was thinking of a certain situation that I was in. Then when I listened to it at another point in my life, I was thinking of certain people in my life that I was finally sort of detached myself from and formed better boundaries with. And then in the last year when I listened to it, I just thought of like my alter ego, which is like I try and dissociate anxiety. It's just like a different person that's not me. Like somebody else is doing it to me. I don't know if that makes any sense, but when she says the whole thing, the rain came pouring down. When I was drowning, that's when I could finally breathe. When I hear that line, I just think that all of my life, I've been super comfortable being stressed and being unhappy. And I was literally talking to my therapist the other day and I was explaining how I was feeling. And she goes, well, you're just very comfortable being depressed. That's depression just sneaking up on you and telling you that you do not deserve to be happy and trying to ruin a good situation and trying to manipulate yourself into thinking that you are in a threatening situation and to only see the negatives. And when I listen to Clean, I just think of those moments where I'm so upset, but at the same time, it's like a relief and a comfort because I'm used to it or I think of when I'm out of the situation. It really depends. That song is just so universally applicable to everything in my life and it's just, I could talk about it all day. I could sing it the whole time. I saw this thing on Instagram and it was if I had to stay in jail and to get out sing taylor's version the 10 or taylor's all too well 10 minute version or pay two hundred thousand dollars tell my friends i'll be out in 10 minutes and 13 seconds and that would be me i started singing it and i realized i could recite the whole thing i haven't been listening to taylor swift as much recently but or as much in the past months yet the past week that's all i can listen to when the fall comes and the autumn leaves turn, if Evermore isn't popping up on your headphones, I don't know what to tell you. I'm an autumn. As Richard Gilmore said, I am an autumn. Autumn is my time to shine. Except, what the fuck, Boston? Because this weather is the most bipolar shit I've ever seen in my whole life. Literally, one day, I was it was 80 degrees. I was wearing a sports bra and shorts and I went for a run outside on the track. The next day, I was bundled up in jeans, a sweater, a jacket to class. I was like, oh my god, I'm, I'm freezing my ass off. But I got tan yesterday. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know how to deal with that. My sinuses are all out of whack. I have brain fog, but that's just because I'm mentally exhausted. I would love to be recording more, but the problem is I am planning a lot of stuff to post on social media now because I finally have time and I'm going to be a lot more consistent with that. I know it happens in spurts, but you guys just gotta, you gotta bear with me because it's something I really care about and it's something that is important to me and that I do want to grow. But like I said, I fucking hate admin.
and making Instagram promotional reels. I don't know. It's just not that's not me. Like I don't I don't love to be in front of the camera, but you know what? We're gonna make it work. We're gonna make it work. We're gonna film some fun things this weekend if I have a life this weekend. <laughs> and that's all I gotta say about that. The other notes I have original Mean Girl Stars Reunite for I think it was the Walmart Black Friday commercial. That was kind of cool. And then a plug for Lessons in Chemistry and Selling Sunset. Also, The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston. I've been waiting to watch it because my mom and I watched that show together. But if you haven't seen it, go stream it. Don't sleep on Apple TV. Low-key fire. And that is all I have for this beginning segment. Oh, my God. I can't wait for the episode where I'm not a mess. I cannot wait for the day but until then let's get on to our next segment of the psychology and neuroscience behind our moral code how solidified it is and how in certain situations we are so quick to change it sorry i just got breaking fucking news that fred again was nominated for a grammy um hello that's a sleigh and best the one thing about me is that i will i will look at the grammys religiously i'm obsessed with the grammys i love the grammys i think there's nothing better than the grammys i just i love it i love the grammys is the one award show i will consistently follow day in day out so let's go through the nominees because i think it's important that we take a moment Let's see. Best pop duo group performance. Thousand Miles, Miley Cyrus, and Brandy Carlisle. I don't know that one. Candy Necklace, Lana Del Rey, John Batiste. I don't know that either. Maybe I'm not that cultured. I don't know. The Thousand Miles. I just haven't seen these performances. Never felt so alone. Oh, Labyrinth and Billie Eilish. That's a tough one. Ghost in the Machine, SZA, and Phoebe Bridgers. That should win immediately. That should win immediately. Ice Spice and Taylor Swift. I love Taylor Swift, but Ghost in the Machine should win immediately. No questions asked. Nobody should nobody should even second guess that. Best pop solo performance. Flowers by Miley Cyrus. I love that song. Paint the Town Red. Fair. What was I made for? A sleigh. Vampire and then Antihero. This one's so hard. I feel like they're going to give it to, I'm going to make my prediction now, probably either Flowers or Vampire. I don't know. I don't see Taylor Swift winning this one. Who knows? Okay. Best new artist, Gracie Abrams. Oh, Coco Jones? The fuck? Coco Jones is not a new artist. Did you watch Let It Shine? Because I watched Let It Shine and I listened to the soundtrack. Coco Jones is not a new artist. That... They're sleep- they've been sleeping on her. Were you not here during the early 2000s? Because I was. And I was singing Let It Shine like nobody's business. What's that? You guys all know the song I'm talking about. If you don't, go watch Let It Shine. My best friend tells me I'm a Disney adult. If loving Disney Channel original movies and films and TV shows and referencing them is a crime, sue me. Sue me. Okay? There is a Hannah Montana song for every single moment of my life. Every single minute. Every single second. There is a reference to be made. When I failed my driver's test when I was 16, I played Gonna Get This by Hannah Montana for a week straight until I then passed a week later. 
who is to take credit for that situation? None other than Hannah Montana, what was it, Forever and Always album? The last one? Before she went off to college. Every, every song on that album literally ate. Except Kesara. That was just like a hella random one to throw in there. All right. Anyways, best new artist, also Ice Spice, Jelly Roll. Simply have no idea who that is. Victoria Monet, also why best new artist? I feel like she's been out for a while. The War and Treaty, do not know. Noah Khan. Oh, this is such an unpopular opinion. Oh, I don't like him. Ah, sorry. I don't really vibe with his music. Maybe it needs to grow on me. I don't know. Fred again should win, and that's my final statement. I'm putting all hands on the table. Fred again should win. He's changing the game of house music. Oh my god, I literally just said Fred again should win, and I don't like Noah Khan. That's gotta be one of the craziest hot takes I've said on here in a minute. Let's just move on before I say anything else. (laughs) Record of the year. Okay, I've never understood the difference between record and song of the year. If anyone wants to clarify that for me, that would be amazing because the nominations are 99.9% all the same. So, Worship, John Batiste, don't know, Not Strong Enough, Boy Genius, I don't know, Flowers, Miley Cyrus, What Was I Made For, Billie Eilish, Oh My, On My Mama, Victoria Monet, oh, that song. The summer, mama. That's summer. No, I look fly. I look good. I think it's that song. I don't know why that's. I don't know. I don't think that should be nominated. Vampire, Olivia Rodrigo. I don't think Vampire is the best song on this album. I mean, I understand that it's good, but there are so many other ones that are better. Same with Antihero. Oh, Kill Bill should win. Oh. If SZA doesn't win every Grammy, I'm suing because. N- I would say Taylor Swift should win, but the problem is that why Antihero? Why? I don't think that song should win this many awards, to be honest. That's also another. I'm full of hot takes right now. I've been studying for too long. I'm out the cage. Song of the Year AW Lana Del Rey, Antihero again, Taylor Swift, Butterfly, John Batiste, Dance the Night, Dua Lipa, Flowers, Kill Bill, Vampire, and What Was I Made For? Also, what was I made for? I understand why it's nominated so many times. Kill Bill should still win. That's my final call on that one. Oh, album of the year. Okay. SOS by SZA. I'm telling you right now, that should. Oh, but Midnight's. Oh, and Guts. Wow. Did you know there's a tunnel under Ocean Boulevard, Lana Del Rey? Oh my god, these are all so good. The Record, Boy Genius, World Music Radio, John Batiste, Endless Summer Vacation, Miley Cyrus, The Age of Pleasure, Janelle Monet. Oh, wait, I don't know who should win. I'm not even going to call that. Best Rock Song, Angry, The Rolling Stones, Ballad of a Homeschooled Girl. Wow, okay, Olivia Rodrigo in the Best Rock category. Emotion, Sickness queens of stone age not strong enough boy genius rescued foo fighters best rock album not even gonna bother with this category because i don't know any of them same with best metal performance would say i'm totally blind on that oh best rap album here we go (gasps) oh 
who is gonna win this oh my god her loss drake and 21 savage michael killer mike heroes and villains metro boomin king's disease 3 nas or utopia bruh oh my god okay heroes and villains i think should win wow okay i i really like utopia i think the story behind it is really cool i think i've explained it on a previous episode but heroes and villains was produced so well metro boomin does an amazing job at creating a narrative in his albums i think that should win or utopia didn't i don't really vibe with drake that much again another unpopular opinion best rap song attention doja cat no that should not win sorry (laughs) barbie world oh my god every time it will come on you know spotify does that play the recommended for you every time it comes on oh well and a bad like a barbie i low-key just want to turn my phone off because i'm so sick of hearing it just want to rock little uzi vert oh well that's a good one rich flex okay yeah that's valid scientists and engineers killer mike i have not heard that one wow who's gonna take that i don't know best r&b song oh snooze has to be i see you coco jones coco jones is not a new artist on my mama i feel like that's not i don't know i guess i don't know r&b angel Haley. oh wait that is really good back to love robert glasper featuring sir and alex easley cannot say i've heard of that one best r&b album i don't know any of these girls night out baby face oh my god i thought that said blue face and i was like hold on a minute clear Two soft life ep oh summer walker she's really good jaguar 2 victoria monet what didn't what i didn't tell you coco jones special occasion emily king i do not know some of those but says i should win and that is final taylor swift has broken the record for most song of the year nominations in grammy history that doesn't surprise me SZA is the most nominated artist of the 24 grammy awards with nine nominations both of olivia rodrigo's albums have been nominated for album of the year at the grammys because she ate and SZA should win the biggest winners of the night i feel like one artist always wins every category i feel like this year it's gonna be SZA and oh either taylor swift or miley cyrus and then throwing olivia rodrigo in there somehow yeah i don't know okay anyways god that was that was a 10 minute tangent when i was supposed to be getting into the neuroscience guys this is it this is me this is the pod this is what's crack a lacking at this hour of 9 30 which is apparently goofy time okay but anyways here's the episode you came for it's coming up next <laughs> what is morality and where do we form it how do we form it how can it change Everyone everywhere shares a common moral code, whether we realize it or not. We can all agree that cooperation is the root of our society, and we naturally want to promote a common good. As good as, quote-unquote, the right thing to do, which is what we think of generally when we think of morals, right? We think of social situations, personal situations, where there's some right thing to do that is guided by our moral code. 
So, where does morality begin? Research by Yale professor Karen Wynn concludes that morality actually begins in infancy. This upsets the idea that children learn morality through their parents. While that is still true, we do learn some extent of our morality from our parents. A lot of it comes from our evolutionary nature to prefer people that help others and the common goal of cooperation. In a series of experiments, Wynn found in one study that infants looked longer at people helping puppets than those that hindered other groups from helping puppets. This shows that human babies enter the world ready to pay attention and respond to social stimuli, such as voices and faces, and babies begin forming social relationships during their very first year of life. We've learned through several neuroscience and psychology experiments that infants can recognize faces at just a few months old. Young children provide comfort and assistance both to other children and adults in emotional distress purely out of intuition because when you are that young, you have the capacity, a great capacity to learn, but not such complex social behaviors such as comfort and it is very, very advanced of our species in general to be able to sense comfort at such a young developmental age. And then not only that, but act on trying to relieve that emotional distress of somebody else. I think that speaks to the sociability of our, our just people in general. Young children provide comfort and assistance to both children and adults in emotional stress, as I mentioned. For instance, when they see their mothers in pain, just babies 18 month old show comforting behaviors such as hugging, patting, and sharing toys. Infants offer help and comfort to those in distress and prefer those who do the same. Again, this tying back to the fact that our moral code is rooted in the common goal of cooperation and wanting to help others and relieve others' distress to ease our own. Since humans are by nature both helpful and selfish, it is thought that morality has evolved to support our helpful social interactions and control our selfish tendencies. In other words, our moral code developed to be helpful in the sense to our selves and the community to create cooperation, balance, common good. And in doing so, we have to subdue selfish tendencies to maintain social equilibrium and social, again, cooperations, fitting into social norms, etc. These tendencies can be overridden by parents, however, that don't build on such social and cooperative behaviors. The same can be said of peers who override these instincts and a larger cultural messages that convey very different values. On a neurological level, that we'll touch on a little bit later, but what I'm getting at is that morality is started to develop from a very, very young age, but it can be altered and expressed differently in social situations that are involving somebody that we care about which is a very popular theory that we will get to as soon as we go over the neurological level of moral code. Neuromodulators are neurotransmitters that don't necessarily produce a response, but can regulate and enhance slash deplete oxytocin, which does increase trust and generosity in some situations, 
but can increase envy and bias in others. Serotonin is involved in social behaviors, particularly aggression, and is manufactured in the brain and intestines. Both of these neurotransmitters have shown to influence moral judgment by enhancing the negative feeling we have in response to seeing others experience harm. Basically, more of this neurotransmitter is released once the sensory stimuli of somebody else in pain is processed through our thalamus and to those of our limbic system. To interact with three parts of the frontal lobe is generally where moral code is said to reside. The medial prefrontal cortex, which plays a large part in forming our personality and is a large part in what makes humans very unique. The dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, which has a lot to do with the stream of dopamine. The medial prefrontal cortex plays an important role in interpreting and understanding the thoughts and mental state of ourselves and others. You can see how this would easily be interactive with our quote-unquote moral code as a large part of expressing that moral code is through action and through sensing the distress and harm and need for to, hail, to help others and to cooperate, which would happen in said medial prefrontal cortex. The amygdala is another very important brain structure that is responsible for our limbic system function or a large part of our limbic system, which is emotional and aggression, aggressive regulation. So it is responsible for basically in distressful situations that we might have to decide and act on our feet what's right and what's wrong. The amygdala would sort of sense and create that fight or flight response. The ventromedial prefrontal cortex is a critical hub for caregiving behaviors, morality, and decision-making by combating cognitive and emotional processes necessary to guide social behavior. In other words, this is a hub for decision-making and combining sensory stimuli with your cognitive, conscious thoughts and feelings. Basically, a lot of where our personality resides. The dorsolateral prefrontal cortex is another important structure in self-control and intelligence. In other words, this part of our brain is just next to the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, and morality, in part, can be interacting with our natural instincts and telling maybe our natural instinct is to do what is, quote-unquote, might be wrong in that situation, and we have to withdraw that natural instinct to act on a moral code that is seen to be right in the situation, but deep down inside might go against our own specific grain. And we'll get into that a little bit later. The posterior superior temporal sulcus, that is an earful, <laughs> is a key region to understanding the intentions of others. So a common theme throughout all of these brain regions is that they have more to do with sensing and perceiving others' emotions and others' emotional state and actions more than they have with expressing a sort of code that we have stored in our brains somehow. And I think this attests to the fact that moral code is very largely a social concept and it is more commonly thought of as something we have that is very individual, when in fact, it is exactly the inverse. How does morality evolve and refine? The answer right there is through social interaction. 
In part, morality is formed through social norms. Obviously, we went over how babies and infants express and naturally are helpful creatures that just want to relieve stress and pain of others. However, those are very basic surface level emotions and situations. How we handle complex problems and challenges form our morality to an extent. We use our moral values to guide our actions and reactions and making constant micro-adjustments depending on the context of situations that we are in. Results published in the Journal of Nature Communication reveal that people will selectively activate different moral values in group situations according to the demands of the social situation. When it comes to individual moral values, those who shape beliefs on one's own rights and freedoms, social context has no impact. This is what I was mentioning earlier, how there are various types of morality. There is a part of morality that is purely individual, but that part is only in regards to ourselves in situations that just involve me. As soon as you put me in a sore situation with somebody I care about or people that I might know, anybody that I have some sort of relationship to, I might very quickly, we are very quick as in general as society to flip maybe what we would originally do in that situation to fit a social norm or to be the most cooperative and mutually beneficial. For example, there's the classic instance where, you know, I, w- I would murder for you or I would, I'd bury the body with you. Obviously, that go against, that goes against the common moral code, but whenever this expression is used, it's normally in reference to somebody that we have a very close relationship with and that we would rather be an accomplice to than put them in some sort of position of harm. That is fundamentally altering a universal moral code that we all seem to share. This brings me to the two degrees of moral code and how moral code is sort of distinguished in definite terms. There is one that is binding, which governs our behavior in groups that would fall under the bearing the body situation. And then there is another moral code that we have that is individualizing, which promotes personal rights and freedoms, something that is, again, uniquely ours, that cannot be altered in any social situation. For example, when we are thinking about some sort of dilemma that only involves me, whereas I would rather put myself at risk if I were to do something dangerous than cause harm to others. Morality is more changeable than I think we all initially perceive. It's always thought of as this innate set of rules, but it turns out these neuromodulators that I mentioned before, these brain regions, they are all hyperactive when we are placed in a social situation where we have to distinguish some sort of right and wrong, and whichever option promotes the most cooperation and mutually beneficial outcome is the one we will naturally gravitate towards, despite it possibly going against the grain of our natural instincts or our moral code that we maybe thought of a situation and we thought, oh, if I was placed in this situation, I would do X, Y, Z. And then we are suddenly in that situation with said people that we have relationships to and that previously thought action would probably go out the window. 
Penn Research says, we find that being in the presence of somebody you feel close to was just enough to impact the importance people give to certain moral values. I feel like I'm half alive right now. I feel I need to reread that. Penn researchers state, this is a quote, but we find that just being in the presence of somebody you feel close to is enough to impact the importance people give to certain moral values. In other words, I really want to emphasize that moral values and moral codes are formed on the basis of cooperation and social interaction of others. And to break this sort of, I don't know, common perception that moral codes are very, very individual when in fact they are more socially active than a lot of other qualities I talk about on this platform, such as anxiety, depression, etc., which can be social conditions, but not as much of as moral code. Again, I always thought when I think about morals and morality, I've always thought about it as, oh, what are my morals? And, oh, what do I think is right and wrong in this situation when I'm really, most of the time, picking the outcome that is mutually beneficial, but I just didn't understand that's what I was doing at the time until I actually did the research for this pod. (laughs) A fictional anecdote that I mentioned before is very easy to explain this concept. It states that a law-abiding husband who is most often driven to act fairly learns that his wife has committed a horrible crime. In the moment, feeling a very strong sense of loyalty, he helps her hide the evidence, despite the act violating several of his university morality principles. In this instance, the relationship's closeness leads to loyalty to trump fairness. This is exactly what I meant by the earlier example, and just reiterating the point that morality is very socially contextually dependent. It is not as set in stone as I initially perceived and I think a lot of us initially perceive. Moving forward, one faced with such moral dilemmas, I don't know if it's right or wrong to think about it more individualistically and to protect your individual moral code or always lean toward the social part of your moral code and do what's best for everybody because there are so many situations where our morality can be questioned and we don't know what's quote-unquote right or wrong, but we just have to go with our gut. A lot of it is gut feeling for me in those situations, whatever feels right, which I've talked about this before, but if you haven't listened to Emma Chamberlain's episode on a gut feeling, please do. She does a great job of explaining how the expression gut feeling isn't just some made-up concept, but it's actually a physiological response our body has that creates a literal change in the chemical composition of our gut and creates this aversion to the situation or the positive positive feeling to a situation. But anyways, I think a lot of it has to do with our gut feeling in the instant. And I know personally when I'm in a moral dilemma and it involves people that I really, really care about, I don't even have a second thought as to what decision I'm going to make. I'm always going to make the one that can help them and put them out of the least bit of distress. This is apparently developed in everybody since they were an infant to help cooperate and be social. And yet this raised me to ask, 
then why are people so drastically different when it can come to situations that are so there are so clearly aligned between right and wrong and so many this is so vague but so many situations i feel like you guys would know what i'm talking about where there's such a clear right and such a clear wrong and yet our world is so divided it brings me to wonder how how is their individual moral code different I don't know. Maybe I'm just brain dead. I'm just thinking out loud at this point. But how how can they be so far on the other side of the spectrum of an instance that is such a right and wrong? Obviously, I mentioned before that it has to do with the parenting, where if you grow up in an environment that is promoting maladaptive morality and maladaptive thought processes, then that is most likely the cause for such a drastic difference in people on one end of the spectrum and people on the other. That's the only plausible explanation I can think of or that I found. But if I'm going to leave you with anything this episode, the biggest takeaway is that when we think of morality and our morals and our moral code, we should think of it as a group experience and universal experience and this is just another thing that unites our society and is not as individualistic as a lot of us may have initially perceived it to be. This is something we are all interconnected and intertwined with and if you're feeling a little lonely, well, everyone's going through something and everyone can come together in situations that question our morals and moral code because this is universal. Every human experiences some sort of embedded right and wrong system that we have. And there's really hard to find concrete answers. I think a lot of this is very much being studied because morality happens on an unconscious level. All of the neurotransmitters I mentioned are were purely found in moral situations because they studied the release and activity during a moral dilemma rather than actually making a decision between right and wrong. I think a lot of that is still being discovered. But long story short, you are not alone and everybody has to face hard decisions sometimes. And in a world that can seem so divided, just know that everybody is with you. And when there is such a clear right and wrong, trust me, the majority of people want to help alleviate that distress and find common ground. With that, that is this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening and being a little bit patient with me as I struggle through organic chemistry. Thank you so much for talking about everything all at once, and I will see you guys next Sunday.